You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 729 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Tuesday evening, and joining me for the first time, I'm sure I will beg him to come on again in the future, Nikias Duncan is here. What's up, man? All right, man. How you doing? I'm all right. Uh, I'm in this weird spot right now where the Hawks have th- have three straight off days, and uh, I'm not sure if you saw this game on Monday, but the Hawks played quite poorly in their last outing against the Grizzlies on Monday, losing by 39 at home. Uh, so it's kind of this weird afterglow of that game and the fact that, you know, it's kind of better to go, at least in some ways, to get back out there and play again, but now they have to wait until Friday, and it's, uh, the fan base is, you know, kind of on edge, and it's a weird time around here, around here right now, honestly. I would imagine so. Um, are the John Morant takes starting to heat up some more? Uh, a little bit of that. Honestly, uh, it was more Hawks driven. Uh, I think fortunately for them, jaw wasn't like incredible in the game. Mm-hmm. Jaw had a couple nice moments, but it wasn't like he came out and had 30 or something like that. It was more of those. It was mostly just the Hawks playing poorly. Memphis wasn't incredible. It was just one of those nights when nothing went well. And, uh, it's kind of funny to me anyway, that the Hawks had just won back to back games. They were kind of riding high. People were excited about the team again, and then suddenly, within you know two hours, it was the end of the world. Uh, that's just how, kind of how it goes with a young team. Sometimes it drop that dud. Yeah, it's uh, basically what I was trying to say. It's uh, <laughs> people didn't want to listen to that, which is okay. I, I get it. People get high and low, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. But uh, it's one of those things. Um, and by the way, for people that don't that don't know you, uh, you write all over the place. Um, not necessarily covering the Hawks, but you've covered the Hawks. I've actually sat near you at Hawks games. Uh, I know you cover the league. I read your stuff all the time. So I, I enjoy every once in a while getting that sort of um, outside perspective and, and a not like an everyday Hawks person's perspective. So my first question is going to be pretty broad. And it's kind of, you know, knowing that you're not in the bubble that I'm in all the time. What, what do you make of this Hawks team right now? Obviously, they're not going to be fantastic in the moment, but more long-term even, or even this year, kind of whatever, whatever, whatever your top thought, uh, your sort of top-line thought would be on this Hawks team. Are you feeling all right about them uh, in terms of the big picture? And uh, what, what can you kind of make of this season for the Hawks? Um, this has kind of been a little underwhelming to me. Obviously, that's kind of thrown off just because of the John Collins suspension. Nobody could really, um, nobody could really predict that. Um, I actually had the Hawks before the year kind of um, fighting for the AFC. Didn't think they were going to get in this year, but they were going to be around there. Um, doesn't look like that's going to happen. On top of the Collins um, suspension, there have been a lot of injuries. Um, obviously, the defense has been kind of a mess. Um, some inconsistency from the rookies, which you would expect. But um, as far as their future outlook, I feel like I'm higher than a lot of folks. I'm a big believer in what Trey Young does as an offensive creator. Um, he's like this... He's like a mix of Nash and Curry to a degree. <laughs> people, pe- have... people, people will love hearing that. I promise you, that, that'll be good. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I love Trey. Um, John Collins, I'm a little bit lower on, but um, I do think they have a pretty solid young core in place. Um, as long as they they add some vets that can defend, I think they're going to be a playoff team relatively soon. Um, I mean, obviously, there are still some major question marks to answer with Trey Young as kind of a point of attack defender. But overall, I like the team. I like what they're building. 
Yeah, I think that's about where I am as well. And we'll dive in a couple things here. Let's just start with Trey because I know that's obviously probably the easiest thing to talk about with this team in general, but also um, can be complicated because you know, as, as I'm sure you've read, people there are people nationally that don't that don't love the Trey Young experience. I think locally his approval rating is very very high, um, and with good reason. He's been really really good this year. I think better than anyone, even his. Um, I would say the most the people that were most confident in Trey. I'm not sure they thought he was going to be this good this fast. Um, so offensively. You mentioned sort of his style and what he can bring to the table and kind of just the way they have to build around him. But what do you, what do you make of that? I mean, I, I think we all know that he is really, really good already offensively. But um, how good is he, I guess, is the best way to, uh, to ask that question. And also, what kind of, uh, I won't even say challenges, but like, what's the best way to build around a guy like that? Because as we all know, it's like, you know, there's a lot of teams that are kind of using that, that centric model around one guy. And the Hawks are kind of doing that with him. What do you make of all of that with Trey Young? Um, like I, I think he's an offensive superstar already. Um, he has insane usage, so that would explain kind of the turnover numbers. But I mean, he's what a top six passer in the league. Um, can pull up from forty comfortably. Just kind of been, breaks defenses. You can't really afford to switch against him because he can burn your bigs and nutmeg them. You play drop. He just sprinkle in jumpers from all over the place. You trap him. Um, he's gotten a little bit better at just um, attacking those. There really isn't anything that he can't do offensively. And I think when you have a guy that can set the table like that, I mean, the baseline for your team is pretty – it's pretty high offensively at least. Like, you, the Hawks are going to be a good offense as long as Trey Young stays healthy. So I think that's big for him. As far as building around him, you're going to need long-range defenders around him. Um, you will have a better handle on this than me, but it feels like the Hawks are switching a little bit more than they did last year. I think they're trying to make sure that they keep actions in front. They're still trying to hide Trey on, like, weak offensive players, but they're switching more just to make sure that they're – aren't as many cracks for offenses to attack. Um, that hasn't really shown through in the numbers, looks like, because the defense is still pretty bad. But, um, you know, drafting DeAndre Hunter, getting Cam Reddish in there, um, trading for Clint Capella, it's, you can tell that they're making a conscious effort to get some rangy defenders in there to try to hide him. Yeah, I think, you know, I think pretty clearly this this last draft, and I'm going to ask you about the two rookie wings, but I think that, that draft was pretty clearly um, at least driven in part by building around Trey in a certain way with long-rangey defensive-minded wings. And, you know, you mentioned the defense this year. I think that's been probably the number one thing that I'm trying to convey to people locally is that, you know, defensively there's always going to be challenges with Trey. Um, it, it, come, it kind of comes down to how well they can build around him, but, you know, Everybody wants to point to drafting two wings this year, um, but th- these guys are still rookies. I think Kent Reddish has also has already been really good defensively, but at the same time, you know this roster at the moment is just not good enough defensively. So you know when people start getting mad about defensive results, I just want to point back to the basically the it's not necessarily talent, but just kind of the the way that the Hawks roster is built right now is not conducive to playing high end defense. So I don't I wouldn't worry too too much long term. But at the same time, I have to ask you, because this is the question everybody asks, like how how hard is it to build a defense with Trey Young on the floor? Because there was another article today from Kirk, from Kirk Oldsbury of ESPN pointing out some stuff that we all kind of know, but you know, every once in a while you just kind of see more stuff about Trey's defense. So I think that's something that I try to ask people, especially people, people that are not in Atlanta, like what you make of that challenge, because it is going to be a challenge to build a defense around him. Yeah, I think it's incredibly tough. I mean, he's so slight. And he, it's kind of easy to wash him out on screens. And once the top of the defense is compromised, then, I mean, you're basically playing five on four or four on three. It's advantage basketball. And with the NBA being as spread out as it is now, it's pretty much spilling death for any defense. And when you look at a team like the Hawks, 
that not only you have a small guy like Trey, um, Clint Capella mentioned they traded for him, but he hasn't played yet. And then you have a bunch of young wings still trying to adjust to the speed of the game, trying to, you know, um, get their defensive principles set in. It's just a lot to deal with, especially for a team this early in the process. So it, it looks a lot worse now than it will in the future. Um, but I think part of it is going to be Trey. He's going to have to improve his effort defensively. Uh, defense isn't all about effort, even though that, that's kind of like the cliche that's out there. Oh, but he I, does I have love that you said that. that. That is so true. People say that all the time. I absolutely hate that. You you need effort, but it's it's about more than that for sure. <laughs> yeah, you, anticipation. Like defense is legit a skill, and I don't think enough people accept that as fact. But, uh, yeah, Trey has to bring it a little bit more, and we've seen some burst from him post-All-Star break that uh, kind of shows that maybe he, even if he's not the worst defender in basketball, if he could be like a bottom 20 defender, like that's improvement. Yeah. No, so I, 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 him, go ahead. I understand. Just getting him to not be the worst defender in basketball would be a huge step, and that's at least partially on him. He won't be able to overcome all of his physical limitations. But, you know, just trying to beat guys to spot if you can draw some charges – that would be a, I mean, that'd be a way for him to kind of increase his value there. And that also kind of goes back to the offense. He has such a high usage rate right now. And I think that's why um, getting Kevin Herter back, he's been hurt a lot this year um, as a secondary creator, getting him more touches, kind of getting Trey off ball a little bit. I think that would help a lot. Let him conserve energy some. I think that'll help his defensive effort as well. But it, yeah, it's just, it's really going to come down to like size and length behind him, I think, because there's only so much Trey can do. Yeah. I think ultimately, your point about having a secondary creator is a good one. I I am not sure that they have their number two creator on their roster right now. I do like Kevin Herter, and I think he can do a little bit of that. But I think if we're being honest, and people will talk about this a little bit, but they probably need another guy that can kind of do that as a more like primary secondary, if that makes sense, like a, like a legitimate number two creator. But, you know, that's more of a perfect world kind of thing. And I agree, like, eventually... Trey's always going to have a, a high usage rate, but it probably won't be as high as it is right now. Um, and that will help his defense. And like you said, after the All-Star break, there's been a couple of bursts. Like you'll see, you'll see a quarter here, a quarter there, a half here, a half there, where he doesn't stand out defensively. And that's and that's a good thing. I mean, stand out in a bad way. Because if he's competing, um, he's never going to be good, like you said. But I think if he just it's it's a lot of it's tied to effort, which is not we're not breaking any new ground there, but um, it's really hard, and that's something I've I kind of usually defend him on, is that it's very hard to do what he does on offense and then also play with effort defensively. Like I, I sort of understand it, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. he's, he's got to be better. It's just what it is. Absolutely. Um, just to ask you a question before we uh, yeah, move forward, what what do you think is holding Kevin Herter back from I guess developing into that type of number two? Yeah, it's interesting. I think he's definitely skilled. Um, it's been a talking point, I would say, locally quite a bit. Like he's just not very aggressive a lot of the time. When he's when he's aggressive and plays with force, I think he really kind of pops. Um, but it's not consistent enough. And part of that's just being young. Part of that's being kind of frail. He's not super strong right now. I do think that he can. I think on the high end of his outcomes is a spot where maybe he averages like 18 a game and can be that kind of secondary guy who is more forceful, more aggressive. He's not ever going to be very quick. It's kind of the thing that maybe limits him a little bit as a creator. He is a skilled guy and is a good passer and all that stuff. And obviously the shooting is what it is, but that would be what I would worry about a little bit when he's like your legitimate number two on the perimeter. It's just, I'm not sure he has that gear to kind of just always go by guys. Um, when he has room, he can operate in the passing and the skill. He's definitely an underrated, I think, nationally anyway, an underrated playmaker and creator. But I think if you start taxing him a little bit more, you see some 
moments where he doesn't really have that next gear that you probably need. So I don't know. I'm not saying he can't do it. It's just if you see him on the wrong night, he can look like he doesn't have that in him. And then if you see him, if you see that on, see him on the right night, it looks like he could certainly do that. So maybe it's just being close to the situation. But he he's still a guy that I like quite a bit. But it's it can be kind of tough if you uh, watch him too closely. If that makes sense, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to me, and I mean. My my last question I'll ask about Trey, and we, we might come back to him later, but people ask this question to me all the time, so I'm not even going to tee it up. Do you see a scenario where Trey Young is the best player on a title contending team? Oh, man, that's early. Um, not, I mean, obviously not now, but, you know, two, three, two, yeah, three four years yeah, in the future, can he, can, he, can he be that guy? Not, I'm not even saying will he be, but, like, do you see a scenario where that is the case? Because, honestly... If we're being, you know, if we're just being candid about the whole situation, that's probably the biggest question that everyone is going to ask. Eventually, they're not, they're not, they're not necessarily doing it now, but you know, next year if they make the little jump to being a playoff team, that's the next question everyone's going to ask: is all right, is he the number one guy on a play on a, on a sort of t- an actual contender? Yeah, uh, I'm going to very, very, very conservatively say yes. Because I get I have that much faith in his offense. I mean, he the way that he bends defenses in as far as I mean, he's not the shooter that Steph is, but he's comfortable taking those kind of shots and he's a much better passer than Steph is. So I think just the ceiling there is pretty high. If they can get the right defenders around him, I think he definitely has the ability to carry an offense for stretches in the playoff series. So I, I think he can eventually be that guy. I think it's gonna be more on the team building aspect than it's gonna be on trading the skill level. Yeah, I, I generally agree with that. Um, you know, not saying it's going to happen, but I think his his ceiling outcome is certainly a player that can be your number one guy on a title on a, on a title contending team. It just there, yeah, you kind of have to thread the needle on some other stuff, and that's the challenge of building around a guy who is his size in that position. And I say this all the time, but you know, in the last you know three decades, the only team that's won a title with their best player being a point guard is the Warriors, and that was kind of a weird situation obviously <laughs> with Steph being the best shooter of all time and also Steph's like you know six three and it's just different not a lot of teams win win titles teams compete for them all the time but teams don't often win titles in the modern era with their point guard as the unquestioned number one guy just saying right <laughs> uh all right let's take a place to stop for a second uh, let's go to a break real quickly and we'll come right back with more from Nikaias all right, man, we're back, and uh, we'll transition away from Trey a little bit because uh, obviously we talk about him all the time, and he's fantastic, and we'll come back to him, I'm sure. Um, we mentioned in passing earlier the two rookie wings, Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. Um, I know there were lots of jokes made about Reddish in the early going because he was quite bad in October and November, but if, he, if, if people have been paying attention, paying attention recently, he's been pretty good, and I think defensively has been good all season long. And Hunter, you know, there's been nice flashes. I think, you know, he's a top-five pick that probably doesn't look like one most of the time, but still a, you know, in the, in the grand scheme is having a pretty decent rookie year. What do you make of those two guys? You know, I guess both now and the, for the future, because, um, you know, outside of Trey and I think John Collins, those are the, of course the next two guys that everyone wants to talk about. Uh, I'm definitely, I came into it a little bit low on, on Cam Reddish. Um, didn't really like the, the situation in Duke was kind of weird. And you can tell that he wasn't really accustomed. He wasn't really um, getting accustomed, accustomed to that system. Um, the lack of spacing definitely hurt him. And as you mentioned, he was pretty darn bad in October and November. But the defense has surprised me. Um, now that he's actually making threes at a decent clip, starting to see some of the passing flashes, the game's starting to open up 
for him a little bit more. So I, I at least see why teams were excited about his potential um, pre-draft. Um, I was a big Brandon Clark guy, still am. I felt like Brandon Clark should, probably should have those Atlanta picks. Um, I'm, I haven't seen enough from Reddish or DeAndre Hunter to move off of that. <laughs> but um, Reddish has been much better defensively than I anticipated. And uh, if as long as he can, if he can make shots, if he can be any kind of plus on offense, I think you have a serviceable wing for a long time at Cam Reddish. Um, DeAndre Hunter, the on-ball defense is there. Um, he's flashed some passing ability in the games that I've seen that I didn't really see at Virginia. Obviously, you can kind of attribute that, attribute that to their play style as well. But um, he hasn't really popped for me. Like, just some, a few pick-and-roll passes here and there, some nice on-ball defense, but I haven't really seen the explosive, like, team defensive flashes. I haven't seen really that many weak-side kind of explosive plays. Um, you would have a better handle on that than I would because you watch more than I do. But um, he seems like a fine piece right now. I want to see how he grows as a creator if he gets those reps. Um, I think that's going to be huge for him moving forward. Yeah, I, I can totally see, you know, all that. Hunter, it's kind of funny because he was older, and I think – I saw this coming too, but because he was a top five pick, people expected him to be more than he was going to be. And that was unfair to him. I would say, I always said about, you know, where a guy's picked is not his fault basically. Um, and I think in a normal draft process, he probably would not have been a top five pick and that would have lessened the pressure on him a little bit. Um, but I think he's, he's generally been fine. The defense, the defense has been sort of hit and miss. Um, but it, when it's good, it's pretty good. And he's, he's a strong guy. He's big and physical. And I think he'll improve because, um, I'm not sure how much college you watch, but the big thing for me was that he played at Virginia in a system that just has no parallel to the NBA whatsoever. It's just not even close. And I know he's older, but um, he's also almost starting from a lower point in terms of his transition than most rookies would be, even if he is older, just because of the way that Virginia plays, because that's not anything close to NBA basketball. <laughs> They're playing in the 40s and 50s, which is always fun. Um, yeah, I, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. And I think that those two guys, the theory of that, like, like we said before, is just kind of building around Trey and, um, eventually they're going to have to maybe take an upside swing somewhere else. I want to ask you about Reddish's offense a little bit more. Um, locally, I would say people loved Reddish even before the draft and they were thrilled that he got to them. I know the Hawks were thrilled about him. They liked him all the way through. Um, I always liked his defense and was more skeptical, skeptical of his offense. I agree with your point about him making shots, but what have you seen? I know you're not watching him every single game, but what have you seen about him as a sort of a secondary creator option? Because early the numbers were bad, but if you watch him on the right night, he's pretty skilled with the ball in his hands. It's not always great, but I think he has mm -hmm. a little bit more upside creation than someone like Hunter, for instance. So what have you seen from that aspect of him? Um, I think the passing vision is there. I think he can make all the basic reads and pick and roll that you need. Um, the handle is getting there. Uh, biggest question from what I've seen from him anyway, I think the biggest question is going to be him as a finisher. He's just not explosive vertically. And like, you don't have to be uh, Derrick Jones Jr. or anybody like that and dunk over six people or whatever. But uh, he, he does seem like he struggles with like contested finishes. And I think that's going to lower his upside if he can't figure that out. Um, he's going to have to get some more craft at the basket. Um, but like I say, if he can get to a point to where he's finishing with any sort of consistency, if he punctures defenses, he knows how to beat um, those kind of rotations. So that's a plus already. Um, so I think it's going to be up to him to become a better finisher. And if, obviously the shooting's going to have to stick as well. Yeah, I, I agree on, on all of that. It's just, you know, he does, he'll dunk, in the, he'll dunk on a fast break or make a play at the rim and people will kind of, uh, I would say, I don't want to say ignore, but 
the vertical athlete thing does matter with him. It's not, you, you don't have to be that, but he is not, he is not that. <laughs> so it's, uh, he's more of a smooth athlete. And I think defensively it works very well because he is so long and he is so smart. Um, but yeah, that's, I, that's still my biggest question. It's always been my, my, my biggest question. People worried about three point shooting early and I understood that, but now that he's making some shots, people are less worried about that. And the finishing is by far my biggest question as well. Um, I'll transition a little bit here to John Collins. I know you mentioned earlier that you're not you don't you're not quite as high. It's kind of funny. Um, this is my observation. Maybe you'll disagree with me, but I think um, national consensus on Collins is still probably a little bit low, and locally people absolutely love him, which is kind of normal. I mean, it's just what it is. That's kind of what happens with guys. But then you look at his numbers this year, and his efficiency numbers are absolutely ridiculous. So it's like, how how do you translate? That with, because um, if you if you just pulled up his basketball reference page, you would think he was an all star player. That that's how good it looks right now on paper. Um, so how do you translate that, and what do you make of him both now and the future? And obviously, the suspension hurts a little bit for this year, but looking ahead, there's no reason to think that's going to like hold him back. So, you know, what do you make of him as a partner for Trey Young, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, well, I mean, the offensive fit is obvious. He's already one of the best role men in basketball. He's a great offensive rebounder. The three-point shooting looks real at this point. I think he's over 40% from three this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that I think that's going to help a lot, especially since they have Clint Capella in there now. Um, whenever he returns, you're going to see John Collins slide to the four, I would assume. Yes. Which means that jumper is going to be even more important for him. And if his three-point shooting gets normalized, even if it normalizes in the 36 to 38% range instead of the 40% cliff he's at now, that's going to be huge for the spacing. Um, Atlanta runs a, a ton of double drag anyway, so having um, John Collins be able to hit those above the break threes is really going to stretch defenses even more, considering they have to stretch themselves pretty thin to guard Trey. So the offensive fit is pretty clean. Defensively is kind of why I'm low on him relative to his box score numbers anyway. Um He's improved as a rim protector, but he's still not a natural rim protector. Um, he's an athletic guy, but he doesn't seem like a guy that's that switchable. I don't know if I really trust him chasing stretch bigs yet. So um, it's just just a matter of who he can guard effectively that kind of sours him for me. Yeah, I think that's that's been the whole thing with Collins the entire way is just how you feel about his defense. I candidly worried about it a ton. Um, even in the draft and before he got to Atlanta. And I think he was pretty bad for most of the first two seasons. This year, he's been markedly better defensively. Um, at the same time, he's still kind of a tweener in that if you get him in pick and roll defense, he's not fantastic in that role. I think he's at his best when he's playing the four and kind of operating as a weak side of rim protector. He's kind of flashed out a little bit this year um, using his using his, has his athleticism. Um, and I think his blocks and steals are up as a result of that. He's sort of, he sort of figured that part out. And I think if he's playing next to Capella long term, I think he's going to look better on the de- on defense. At the same time, there are certain matchups where if you're playing a small ball alignment against the Hawks, he does. I'm not saying he's like hopeless, but he's not he's not fantastic at chasing around smaller guys. So you kind of get in this in this spot where you don't want him as your primary pick and roll defender, and you don't want him having to chase guys around. So if the matchup's good, that's really favorable. But if it's not, it can get a little bit tricky. So he's going to have to get better at one or the other. Um, you know, obviously you would want both, but I think he's either going to have to improve at chasing guys, or he's going to have to improve as like the primary pick and roll defender. And those are his two spots where you have to circle. Because I've liked everything else I've seen. And by the way, he's just better across the board, flat out. Like I don't worry as much as I used to about Collins. Mm-hmm. 
but it is a question we're talking about a guy who's going to make a ton of money pretty soon because that's just what happens if you if you look at his offensive profile he's going to get paid in a big way um so if, if kind of just knowing that um can you play him you know in an ideal world can you have him and Trey Young um defensively that's the question everybody's had for years and I, I feel better about it now than I used to but it's still a question yeah, I imagine whenever they do get in the playoff series, I think that's just going to be the end of game offense for the team, just putting those two in pick and rolls. Um, and if John Collins can't hold his weight there, it just gets really tricky. And, I mean, he has – I don't think he's going to get anything less than the max next summer. So that's something that needs to be solved pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, – they'll be doing extension talks this summer, and that's where it gets a little bit interesting because I'm generally against paying – guys a year early unless they're just absolute like no-brainer max guys um just because mm-hmm. there's you know you're taking on more risk in the hawks case there's actually he has a pretty low cap number which i'm not trying to dive all the way into that but because he was kind of a late first round <laughs> pick um you'd be giving up some flexibility and all that stuff but no one's like arguing that he's not going to get paid because he's he's going to he's earned that and again his numbers and the fact that even you just mentioned he's one of the best role bigs in the league already and if you have that that profile and reliable shooting because i didn't i didn't always trust it but honestly at this point i trust his shooting and that's that's a huge thing because i never thought it was going to be that but i you know 40 percent is probably too much but like you said high like mid to high 30s looks real to me the mechanics are good he shoots it with confidence he has a quick release like i I buy it so offensively he's a max player i think pretty clearly it's just whether you think the defense can work and honestly if the point guard wasn't Trey Young defensively, it'd be a little bit easier to not worry. But yeah, but on the other hand, they're so good on offense together. Like those two guys are just electric on offense. We we kind of know that at this point. Yeah, like they're top three pick and roll do it. If I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, I think I think per possession wise, it is it's up there, and and that's with you know. <laughs> I don't want to go all the way into this, but the Hawks have been playing Collins next to some pretty bad centers for most of the season. Um, and that's kind of limited a little bit of their pick and roll. In fact, they were getting a little bit looser even last year at the end of the season, which is those two guys. I think teams have adjusted to that a little bit. And also just the Hawks have been playing bad centers <laughs> next to John <laughs> all year long. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time crapping on them, but it's just been, it's been pretty rough. So um, once they have Capella in there, I mean, I, I know you mentioned that a second ago, but how do you, what do you, what do you make of that fit? Cause I know you've seen a lot of Capella being just that you cover the whole league. He's not playing yet. And everyone's been talking about this, but because they haven't, we haven't seen it yet. I'm still going to ask everybody until we do. What do you make of that <laughs> partnership long term between Collins and Capella, and how's it supposed to work? Okay, um, I would say just again, Atlanta's base offense is pretty much double drag. You're going to have John Collins popping up. You're going to have Clint Capella rolling to the rim. Clint Capella is one of the best role men in basketball and have been over the last few years. So I think that's a pretty natural fit there. Um, I will say if teams are going to start trapping. Trey Young more, which I mean, it makes sense with his size. One of those two guys are going to have to pop as a passer in short role. Um, Clint Capella just doesn't have it. And um, I haven't seen enough flashes from John Collins to know if he has it yet. Maybe that's something he can develop. But um, if they can develop any kind of high, low chemistry as passers, I think that would even that would make the offensive fit even better. Um, defensively, Clint Capella is a good rim protector. So I think that's a pretty natural fit there. Um, can switch a little bit, not as well as he did in the 17-18 season, but uh, he's still pretty serviceable there. So I think that helps considering the Hawks have been switching a little bit more this year. Um, so I think it's a pretty natural fit on both ends of the floor for Clint. Yeah, I I agree. I think people are, 
are probably too worried about that, at least locally, about the fit between Collins and Capella, just because, you know, I, I do understand that both of those guys are at their best as Rollman, but with Collins being able to shoot like he's shooting now, I don't worry as much. If this was if this was two years ago and we weren't sure that Collins was going to shoot it, I, I would understand it, but, you know, just stagger them a little bit. I, I'm a big fan of basically ensuring that you're playing close to 48 minutes with one of those guys, one of those guys on the court at all times. That would be a very smart thing for the Hawks to do generally. Um, at least, at least when it matters, um, because Collins can play a little bit of five and also you have Dwayne Dedman who can space the floor and, uh, just, you know, start those guys together and then get one of them out of there pretty quickly and then stagger them the rest of the game until the uh, fourth quarter. Um, and you know, at that point you also have a guy who is a high end role man on the floor at all times. That's pretty helpful for any offense I would imagine. Yeah, they're going to need that vertical gravity, especially if Trey Young is really the only guy that can consistently get downhill. Um, they're going to need somebody like Clint Capella or John Collins to kind of roll to the rim and kind of create those defensive rotations to help those other guys out. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did not prep you for this question, but it just occurred to me, so my, my apologies. What does this team need, you think, long term? Like, you know, short of like a star that's not available to them right now. What is an area, not even a player, but like what is, what is an area of need – that you see with this team? Cause for me, it's probably shooting cause they don't have enough of it, but what is it? Would you agree with that? I guess. And also, is there something else that you think that this team just desperately needs um, both now and in the future? I would say a little bit more shooting. Um, I feel like they're a wing defender short. Um, I actually want to ask you what you, what do you think Atlanta's going to do with DeAndre Brimbury? Cause I think he hits the market this summer. Yeah. He'll be a free agent. I think he just kind of got lost this year both because he wasn't playing all that well and he's had a bunch of injuries and he also just, you know, got laughed by the guys they brought in. And I, I've always kind of been higher on Ben Bree than most people, but, um, you know, I think I'd be surprised if he came back just because he was not drafted by this regime. He's been so banged up and just, you know, his jump shot just never happened, um, which is unfortunate. I'm not saying it's never going to happen, but he's also was older when he was drafted. So he's a little bit older than you might think he is. So yeah, I'm expecting him to not be around. And, you know, with that said, you know, it's basically reddish as your number one wing defender right now and Hunter a little bit as more of a combo forward guy, but they probably need one more, um, at least guy who can go out there and defend. Cause I mean, Trevion Graham, they have right now, and he's actually useful in that role, but that's kind of all he can do for the most part. So yeah, yeah, I'm with you. They, you know, People, I think you could probably identify with this, but the fan base just focuses on the starting lineup for the most part, and they have all, they have these five, six guys, and you know they're going to have to spend this money on something, and they're going to need um, another wing or two, I would imagine, and some shooting, just because that's the you know looking ahead beyond this year, they basically don't have anybody under contract except for the young guys and Clint and uh, and Capella and Deadman, and that's basically it. Yeah, they're going to have to fill fill around the three four area a lot. Um... Again, John Collins probably going to be playing a lot more forward. Their backup forward is, you know, well, it was Jabari Parker before he got dealt. Um, they're going to need another twenty four. They can kind of – not Jeff Green specifically, but a guy, a guy like him that can defend both forward spots confidently. So I think they're, please, they're definitely Please not short Jeff Green. Please not actually Jeff Oh, yeah, Green. definitely not Jeff Green. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I'm with you. They're, they're going to need somebody else that can play the – I mean, because, you know, Hunter has played some four, and I think actually has looked pretty good doing it. He can do that, but they're going to need another guy because right now – when Collins leaves the floor, if it's not Hunter, you're looking at guys like Vince Carter and, you know, Vince is Vince and Vince is going to be a hall of famer, but Vince isn't very good at this moment. Um, <laughs> they just need to have somebody and, and preferably a shooter, honestly, that, I mean, that those guys are hard to find. We, we, we just described a very good player. That's a combo four that can shoot. Those guys are not uh, always easy to find. Um, but yeah, it's, 
they need they need some shooting and they need some more defense, which is not breaking news on any front. And Capella's going to help, obviously, but they just they have a couple of needs. You know, backup point guard is famously one they didn't really address at all before this season. Um, they did have they do have Brandon Goodwin now, who I kind of like, but probably isn't going to be your backup next year. More like a third point guard type. And Jeff yeah. Teague, uh, I don't know. I mean, they they could resign Jeff, but he's not been great, and uh, I have no idea. Like, by the way, while you're here, since you cover the whole league. What is Jeff Teague's market supposed to be at the end of the season? I have no idea, frankly. Like he's been a starter for so for so long, and now he's like kind of pretty clearly not a starter anymore. But I don't know what that means in terms of what he where he where he could land and what he could get. I have no idea because I feel like if he is better than Reggie Jackson, I don't feel like he's much better than Reggie Jackson, and he just got bought out. And yeah, I, I would... that's probably. I mean, Reggie, he'd be easier to deal with than Reggie. Reggie. uh I don't know. Reggie likes Reggie's very confident. I would say he likes to have the ball and do lots of things. Where Jeff is too, but he's just more understated. I think he probably fit in a little bit easier some places. But you're right. That's a good point. Like he's probably not. If he is better, he's not much better. So he's it's just one of those. Uh, he's a backup point guard at this point, which is it's weird to say that after he's been a starter for basically a decade. But backup point guards that are not you know they're six two that don't really bring a whole lot defensively are kind of a dime a dozen. I don't know. Yeah. So I would say, I guess, maybe mid-level exception I think somewhere it, in there. Yeah, it might even be less, honestly. I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the future. Um, last thing before I let you get out of here. We, we, we've covered a lot of ground, and I appreciate you doing all that. Um, this is a question that's kind of unfair to you um, because I know you don't watch every single Hawks game. But what is your impression of Lloyd Pierce? Um, that's kind of a broad question, but people have started to sort of turn on him. I would say at least the fans have sort of turned on him a little bit locally, which is, you know, too, it's overblown. Some of that's just normal fan stuff being mad at the coach when you lose games, but, um, I, I'm too close to it. So I'm going to step back and ask you what you think of Lloyd Pierce so far. Um, I like him and maybe that's just because I'm not as close to it as you are, but, um, you know, the few Hawks games I've been to and been in those scrums like he's a very personable guy you can tell he he knows the game he's been around it has a strong player development background which i think helps a lot with having a team as young as atlanta um offensively you know they have that that three-point um shot profile i think it's very um analytically sound and when you have a guy like trey i think you know that's kind of that comes naturally as well so i think schematically he's fine um i don't you know i i just don't watch closely enough to have serious gripes with him. I mean, the defense is bad, but also the personnel is bad. So I'm not sure how much you can put on him. Um, and then when you think, when you think about the injuries and the suspensions, things he's had to deal with, I'm not sure how fair it is to crush him for rotations. Um, I mean, Vince Carter playing the four is an ID, but when you don't have another one, <laughs> what can you really do? Yeah. Uh, you know, and again, it's some of it's just, you know, how this goes, if teams lose the first guy that gets blamed, um, particularly if that team has a star, the first the first team that get the first guy that gets blamed is the head coach, because it's not going to be a star that gets blamed. And this is a young team that has a bunch of talented players, um, so it's usually going to be the, the coach. And that that's just kind of what it is. He's, he's had a couple bad moments this year, but he's a young coach. I still think he does a pretty good job. I think some of the heat that he's been getting is a little bit overblown. But I've been asking people both online and offline, kind of what they think about him. So I wanted to put that out there for you because I know you've. I trust your eye more than most people, frankly. Frankly, I know you don't watch all the games, but uh, you know, you know how this goes. There, there are certain uh, national folks that want to that all, all, always offer opinions that 
I don't trust have actually watched the games, at least uh, for a team like the Hawks, because the Hawks are not an, an, an easy team to watch. You know what I mean? Like they're not on TNT. Like most national people, I don't think watch a ton of Hawks games. That's not breaking news. Um, so yeah. I, I don't always trust people when they say things about the Hawks. If that makes sense. I got you. Well, I appreciate the respect there. But uh, yeah, I'm a fan of Lloyd. Uh, maybe I wouldn't be if I was watching every Hawks game. Maybe I have more things to pick out. But I mean, just from the surface, he seems seems like a guy that's good for a young locker room. Um, definitely seems like he holds the young guys accountable. Um, I like what Atlanta runs offensively. Defensively, it seems like he does what they can considering the personnel limitations. So I guess I'm, I think it's just like you said, it's just a matter of the Hawks losing a lot of games. They need someone to blame. Yeah, you mentioned the defense. This is the last thing I'll ask you about this, but um, one of the things that I hear as a complaint about Pierce um, is the fact that he entered in with a defense-first reputation from Philly, and because the numbers have been so bad defensively, that kind of gets thrown back in his face a lot. And we talked about it a lot on this podcast already about how the defensive talent just kind of isn't there. But just even brought, not even necessarily with the Hawks, but like broadly – what do you look for in a defensive coach? Because at the end of the day, the talent's kind of what matters, but what, what is a coach, what can a coach do in your mind to sort of prop up a defense in a way that, you know, make, make cover up for that talent? Because that's sort of a broad question, but that's something I, I, I struggle to communicate sometimes as to like what Lloyd, you know, can do basically to overcome this talent. Because my, my stock answer is that, you know, personnel is the biggest issue with this defense. And I still believe that, but like how much of that is coaching? How much of it is it? Um, I think for any coach, you, know, you have to adjust to your personnel. You have to try to scheme around it, which is why I noted that they, um, it seems like at least from what I've seen over the last couple of years, they're switching more because they know they don't have, you know, Trey Young's at the point of attack, obviously. Um, they do have some young wings in there, but it seems like they've simplified the defensive scheme to a degree, just so you don't have to have those complex reads. Um, this was like a big complaint for Jason Kidd where, the Bucks are blitzing everything and it just keeps the guys in rotation. It doesn't work and he doesn't adjust. And that's, you know, that's one of the re- many reasons he was um, fired in Milwaukee. So when I look at a guy like Lloyd, it seems like he's tried to make adjustments there. He's tried to simplify things to um, try to help the young guys out. They still aren't very good as a collective, but at least effort has been made there. So I, I can see that he at least tries to tailor his game plan to his personnel. And I think that's a plus for any coach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, all right, man, I kept you far too long, so I appreciate uh, all of the time. Please take a minute and tell people where they can find your stuff, because I know you are uh, kind of like me. You are absolutely everywhere on the Internet, so please share where they can find uh, all of your work, man. Uh, well, first, you can follow me on Twitter at NikaiasNBA, N-E-K-I-S-N-B-A. Um, you can find my words at Bleacher Report, um, Five Reason Sports. That's a Miami Heat, um, South Florida outlet. Um, you find a lot of my Heat stuff there. I do a weekly column every Monday. Um, things have been hectic over the weekend um, for some personal reasons, so I didn't have one piece up this week, but that will continue next week. Um, um, SB Nation is another place you can find my work at. I just had a piece up on Chris Middleton if you want to check that out. Um, other than that, I am just you know, tweeting out videos, tweeting out puns, all that <laughs> good stuff on my Twitter. So you can find me there. Follow this man on the Twitter machine, read his stuff. And like I said before, I'm not just saying because you're on the podcast. I uh, I trust your eyes. Some of your video stuff, I always uh, really enjoy your breakdowns and things. So uh, thanks for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. And I will probably beg you to come back at a later date. <laughs> you don't have to beg, man. Just let me know. <laughs> uh, thank you, sir. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. I'm not sure when the next show is going to be because it'll be between probably here and the game on Friday. But uh, follow me on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter. And we'll see you guys next time.